Hey everyone, you're now part of the B2B Power Hour and I'm your host, Nicholas Dickett. I'm Morgan Smith. We help sales professionals power up their sales skills from first touch to revenue, one hour at a time. Join us for weekly live shows and interviews with industry experts breaking down what works and what doesn't in the remote sales era. Now, on to today's episode. Our, this is your hour as much as ours. We have some questions we want to dive into. Got some things we want to know from these two amazing sellers. But also, if you've got questions, drop them in chat whenever. And we'll uh, we'll get to the good ones, at least. <laughs> no, uh, we'll get to them. So where I thought maybe we could start was, this is sort of a, a recurring question we ask a lot of uh, sellers who are in the enterprise space. And I thought it would be a, a great place to maybe start today, which is, how are you preparing for discovery? Like, what are you doing before you're actually getting on the call? And what are you setting up for yourself? Great question to start. And that's a punt. So whoever wants to go first. Who wants to go first? Go ahead, more. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff that I like to do is I don't want to jump on the discovery and ask the obvious questions that I could have figured out during my research. So the... Where are you calling from? Where are you based out of? You know, what does your company do? Like these silly questions. That's something I could have found out on LinkedIn on and visiting their website or just looked at their email signature. Sometimes people have their address there. But so the basic stuff. So I just don't want to waste any time going into discovery. And then when I do get on the call, I want to sound like I've done my homework. And so that also comes from the preparation that I do. So instead of saying, Hey, so uh, tell me a little bit more about your business. I'll tell them what I know about their business. But that all comes from doing some level of research. That would be a nice uh, change from what we've experienced, say, Morgan. So tell me about yourself. What's keeping you up at night? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> Anyways, Charles? Uh, to add on what Moore just said, because I love what everything, I love everything Moore says. Love you um, too, Charles. Not everything offline, but definitely during these terms, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just, the number one thing I want to have is I want to have a point of view. That's really it. So, whatever I have to do to ensure that I have a point of view on why I decided to reach out to that prospect so that I can tell that prospect, this is actually why I reached out to you. I did, I was researching your company. I know a little bit about you guys based on what I've seen, certainly not a whole lot. My sense is that because you're doing this, you might care about that. And that's something that we do. And I thought it might be worth a conversation. So the point of view doesn't have to be groundbreaking. We just started talking. But a point of view is definitely very much appreciated on the other side. Hmm. Question for you then. When you work with your SDRs, do you teach them to look for anything when they're prospecting to start building that point of view? Like, do you give them kind of like, a cheat sheet of things to look for so they actually have proof or what, what does that look like? Yeah, we, we've created assets for them, kind of like a checklist, if you will, in order for them to make sure they do not skip their own steps when conducting research so that they can come up with their own point of view. So we give them the ability to go ahead and do that and make sure they're doing it in a structured and thoughtful way. Um, at the same time, not all prospects are created equal. Uh, point of view is worth doing for some prospects. It's not worth doing for others, depending on scalability and personalization and all that. 
that's how I think about it. And that's what we do here at CB Insights. That makes sense. Juice worth the squeeze. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> great, uh, a great quote that uh, my girlfriend shared loves playing pickleball. And an elderly woman said, the ball ain't worth the fall. So, same. Uh, <laughs> It depends if you're playing professional or for fun. <laughs> like when I used to play basketball growing up and like I used to take it very seriously or somebody else would take it seriously and they'd like, it was dangerous, like street ball. Like, dude, you're not in the NBA. Relax. It's just, just <laughs> I'll more plays to win. I respect yeah. that. So what's interesting to me about this and I just, I could be wrong about this, but it seems that a lot of the chatter on LinkedIn is sort of preparing sellers to enter into discovery with like the basics, but you're confirming your assumptions, you're sort of validating some ideas that you have. But what both of you are pointing towards is that sort of entering into a discovery call with this idea, maybe this person could be a champion, maybe they're not, but you're still looking for that person, comes from all of your prep work that you're doing beforehand from the account research, mapping out the account, finding the right people, developing a critical insight or at least a, a basic point of view, and not waiting to get into the call to sort of flesh out some of those ideas. So for a seller, how, I mean, I'm not looking for hard numbers here, but how do you think about balancing the time for doing that upfront research and sort of getting to enough accounts, shall we say, uh, in a given week, how do you think about balancing that out? Do you put like uh, structures or limits on how much you're spending per account? Or I don't know, I'm sort of curious in that general direction. Charles, you let me go first, last. Yeah, that's very typical. Yeah, so you might not like my answer. I'd say that's enough, Charles. <laughs> 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 You'll get yours more. You'll get yours. Uh, <laughs> two little points. Listen, the first thing is, right, personally, like when I coach reps, I always tell them, like, listen, I'm giving you the ingredients to enhance your probability of success. But when all is said and done, you are the chef. You have to take the ingredients I'm giving you and make your own dishes that you like to serve, if you will, that fit you, that fit your personality. And so based on that, each SDR or account executive, they have to use their own professional judgment based on the prospect that they plan on reaching out to as to how much research they feel is enough. Uh, because in my opinion, you just have to know enough to be dangerous. Actually, I'd argue that not only do you have to just know enough to be dangerous, we admittedly will tell our prospects, listen, we're not experts in your field. That's silly. You're doing what you're doing for like 25 years. I'm in my company for four years and we cover a lot of different areas and I'm not doing, I'm not sitting in your seat, but we are experts in understanding what challenges people in your seat typically find to be a pain. So based on that professional judgment, you know, rolling into bullet point number two, you know, it could be anywhere as little as 15 minutes to an hour, especially depending on how much information there is on the prospect. Sometimes organizations that you're calling on just simply just do not have enough information out there or are not as active. So it's case dependent, but at the same time, you should feel 
comfortable saying to yourself before a call, I, I'm pretty confident in knowing enough to at least start a thoughtful conversation. Yeah, but how much time? I gave numbers one. <laughs> numbers. <laughs> I, at one point you said something. I was like, eh, Charles, I don't know if I agree with that. But then you, you said something else. I was like, okay. More, more. By the way, you don't have to agree with me. You know, you can disagree. Yeah, I, I think we've established that a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And it could be anywhere as small as 15 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I agree with that. There's a couple things that I was thinking about. One, in terms of like preparing for the discovery and the mindset of it is try not to go in i talk about like assuming the sale like once you've done the demonstration and the the follow up and the multi threading at one point you have to assume the sale with this mentality of like all right it looks like it's a fit so let me just go in with the confidence that it's going to close but when you're going into discovery you actually have to unassume the sale meaning go in not assuming that it's going to be a fit assume why it wouldn't be a fit and so you're going in almost to disqualify the prospect because as a salesperson you get excited Oh my God, I got a lead. Whether it's inbound or outbound, I have a lead now. How do I close it? How do I get them on a demo? And you're completely blinded by your passion for wanting to make commission. And so you're you're blocking out all the necessary questions that you should ask to qualify them. So going in to think about disqualifying the prospects first, that's a mindset. And then going back to Charles' point, yeah, you don't know your prospects industry as much as they are. But I would argue that you should go in with the mindset that you are an expert within the, in the industry. So let's just say... Give me like a, an example of an industry that you're selling into or some, something that you've heard, whether it's e-commerce, cybersecurity. Give me something, anything. Fintech. 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 Sounds okay. great. Fintech. All right. So Fintech, the person that you're, you're selling to, a pro, you're on a discovery call with a prospect. They're in Fintech. They're selling... They have... Give me a little bit more like specific. Something they're, within they're Payments. Automated payments. Okay. So who does that person speak to on a daily basis? Hmm. That's a real within, question. Within their organization? On a daily basis, yeah, whatever. Like someone that's in payments, you're a fintech company, you're speaking to a prospect that is in payment. Who are they having conversations with every single day? Probably a finance manager. Right, about like inter- internal stuff that they're dealing yes, with, payments, yeah. their company. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a fintech company and you're a salesperson, who are you talking to every single day? Other payment companies and other CFOs. And so who knows more about what's happening in the world of fintech call it or payments more than you right like i'll give you an exa- another example an attorney right an attorney speak who do they talk to all day attorneys speak to their clients every single day and then maybe they're paralegal and their assistant and then maybe the judge fine cool but if you're selling like a legal tech product then who are you talking to every day you're talking to attorneys so who's getting more insight about what attorneys are dealing with on a daily the attorney that's only talking to their clients or you that's talking to hundreds or maybe thousands of attorneys a year so Who's more of an expert? I put in quotations because obviously you can't take in 20 years of experience that a fintech person or CFO has and pack into yours, but it's a mindset thing. It's like I speak to these types of folks every single day. I actually have more customer feedback or market research based on all these different CFOs or these different heads of cybersecurity or or these CEOs. I have way more insight. So I actually know what you're going through. And so it's it's having this expert mentality, even though you're not necessarily 20 years in, in the business. Yeah, I, I think Moore and I are saying the exact same thing, just differently. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> just to be transparent there. And just on top of what Moore just said, if you're going to share something with your prospect that you're hearing from other people in their seat, 
not necessarily competitors, but people who do what they do. If you say something to them that doesn't make any sense to them, then they'll just, they'll discredit you in two seconds, right? If you say something to them, because people are, we're taught or people share online, right? To share something with your prospect that they didn't know, or they never knew. So I like that idea kind of like as a theory, but if you're sharing something with your prospect that completely catches them off guard, then they're probably not good at what they do, right? Instead of that, you're sharing something with them that like, hey, we know this is a problem for people in your seat, but we're finding it's actually a much bigger problem than it actually is. Does that surprise you? Like it can't surprise them on the one hand, but on the other hand, they should sit back and recognize that they should do something about it. It can't be something that's like, oh, I never knew that. These people get paid a lot of money to do what they do. Of course, it's depending on who you're selling to. If you're selling you know, an enterprise deal and you're trying to sell, have a thoughtful conversation with a senior professional, they have to trust that you know what you're talking about. And if you try to share an insight with them, that's like, they don't believe that. They're like, and if they have a, a reaction, like that's stupid. You know, um, that's not it's not going to work. It has to be somewhat relatable. So you're saying that you shouldn't share an insight that caused them to say that would cause them to say, like, what are you talking about? No, no. I'm saying that you should share an insight that doesn't surprise them. I, I would argue that you should share an insight that does surprise them. I would. So we can <laughs> we can respectfully disagree. I love this. Yes, <laughs> we could totally disagree on that. I'm not, I'm not fantastic with analogies. I'm not saying you're. I'm not saying you're wrong. No, actually. no, no. I'm not. I'm right. This is not a personal. It's right. not a personal <laughs> argument. I'm just saying that if you're sharing it, you know, it's like let's use the doctor-patient example. I'm a patient. I don't know nearly as much as the doctor does, and the doctor is like, "Oh, you have pain." In your shoulder, that means that could be a, you know, God forbid, a, a symptom of a heart attack. Like, oh, I didn't know that. That's something I never knew about. But if I'm now switch the the roles around, if like the patient is selling to the doctor, they can't share an insight with the doctor that like blows their mind. Because then the doctor's not good at, at his or her job. Well, the doctor is a professional. They've been doing this for 20, 25 years. But if you share an insight like, hey, Bob. We both know that when there is pain in the shoulder, it could be indicative of a potential heart attack, right? Yeah. What we're also finding is that there are other leading indicators that could help prevent even a painful shoulder that you may, some of which you may, you may know about. We're finding others. Definitely love to talk to you about it. We're finding X, Y, and Z. Curious to what extent that surprises you. If their reaction is, wow, I never knew that, I would be very surprised if that was reaction, if that was their reaction, as opposed to I'm looking for this type of reaction. Yeah, I've I've thought about that before. I've seen that before. You know, we haven't we've discussed it internally, but we haven't really done anything about it. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? That's the reaction I'm looking for. So it's not black or white, it's more gray. Yeah. I think more to be honest, it would be depending on who you're who you're selling to, hmm. right? The right. more there's all there, there's all there's all these nuances, but it goes back to my point of you speak to your types of prospects every single day, whatever that title is, and so you're actually getting a ton of insight. Like we'll pick, I don't know. Uh, let's say you're in Gong, right? You're selling to other VPs of sales. Now, VPs of sales on a daily are are really talking to their CEO. 
their sales managers and sales directors, maybe some of their AEs, and maybe some other executives. Fine. If you're a salesperson in Gong, you're talking to more VPs of sales than the VP of sales that you're selling to is talking to a VP of sales. So you're actually getting more insight about how other people are running their sales teams. So you can actually share insight that this VP of sales didn't think about because they're in their own little world where you're exposed to so many different ideas. They may not have thought about it, but it still doesn't surprise them. Actually, this is on shared knowledge. Yeah, The the, the thing I keep mm -hmm. hearing is proof. There's proof in the pudding. You guys are building on shared knowledge and you're connecting the dots that maybe they didn't before. And that might be shocking, but you're coming back to that shared knowledge and taking them on that journey through that conversation and your questions. I think that's kind of where... A lot of Correct. sellers, you know, on that. we can all agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's where a lot of sellers get mixed up is they don't have any proof. They throw out all these ideas or they come in with the me, me, me pitch. And because there isn't that shared knowledge, I think that's why they get shot down. They're like, why is this important? Why are you reaching out to me now? Why would I change? Like, why is this important? And I think it's what you guys highlighted is the, that you're answering that right off the bat of this is why. I think, and I think I heard more speak about this in a conversation on a different podcast. I may be making this up, but I think, I think there's <laughs> definitely more. Or said, like, you always, you and the prospect always have to know why are we still talking, period. This is why I'm still on the phone. Why are you still on the phone? Every phone call, why are we still talking? Why did you want to take this call? Why do you want to take another call? Why is it worth, you know, bringing on other folks on the team? That why has to be there. You know, throughout. And I want to tie this in because we've had some good comments that was what I was going to say and also to the topic of today, which is that what I suspect sort of on the surprise side, Charles, is that you have this mental model or tacit knowledge that people who are like, I've never heard that before, are probably really bad champions. And they're not going to continue the moving forward the deal. They may shut down the conversation. They may be resistant, et cetera, et cetera. And I like the way that sort of you both are addressing on either side of this, what Nick was discussing, in that you're bringing insight to the table, something that's interesting to them, maybe something they haven't connected the dots yet, but it's still new, just not shockingly new. And I I like the what it sounds like is there's a you're listening for a balance in the response. And so even to sort of step out of the specifics of surprise and shock and all the rest of it, when you're on a call with a prospect, what are you listening for to begin to identify whether this person could be a champion for this deal? Obviously, challenger language calls them mobilizers, but however you think about champions, like what are the things you're <laughs> listening or l- watching for to say, yes, this person might be able to help carry this enterprise deal across the finish line. My turn. Yeah. You have more? Your turn? <laughs> Appreciate it. A couple of things. I'm listening to their tonality. If they sound timid or confident, it's a really important piece. Their body language. If they're answering my questions with like certainty, conviction. A lot of times you speak to somebody that is not the champion that you think is a champion and then ends up being like the assistant of the champion. Right. And then they're answering like, oh, it's a good question. And they give you a very broad, vague response. And then they sort of brush you off. And so if they can't answer the difficult questions or or the questions that are like the pillar questions, those are some signs. Basic stuff. Nice. Surprise, Charles. Charles? (laughs) 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 Um, The reaction I'm looking for 
is the prospect buys into what I'm saying and follows that up with either, yeah, that's something that we've been talking about internally or shares a story with me. Something along the line. It's not, thank you. It's not limited to, it's not limited to those two buckets, but I want something, a reaction like, yeah, Morgan, you you make a good point. Um, No, that's definitely not a surprise. We recognize that is a problem. In fact, uh, we just did X, Y, and Z, and that's something that we keep realizing is uh, being exacerbated as X, you know, as ABC gets worse or so on and so forth. Like, I want a buy-in. So now they're at a point, even very early on the call, where they're like, okay, listen, this person knows that this is a problem as the prospect look continued now to lower my guard so that we could talk about something real. Actually, I want to just share one other thing. You know, we're all familiar with spin selling, which I, in my opinion, we're, we're going to we're have to get into the, the details of it, is a, is a very good methodology in general for those that are listening, situation, problem, implication, need payoff, okay? And I think just to touch on what Moore said earlier, which was very, very important, discovery conversations don't have to start with the S or the prospect situation. Discovery conversations can start with the P, with the problem. You can always go back to the situation. Like the conversations can start with an insight and a problem that we're hearing, and this is why I reached out, and now we're having a conversation about it. And then throughout that conversation, I can always go be like, oh, by the way, how big is your team? Or like, do you guys use any tools? Like it doesn't have to be in that specific order. In fact, today, if you're starting off with insights, problems, what you're hearing from other people at the beginning of the conversation in any which way, you feel is most appropriate for your prospects, then you can always go back to the situational questions. That's easy. In fact, I'd be more open to telling you. Yeah, a couple of things. I, number one, I 1,000% agree with you, finally. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think the goal of the discovery is to find out, does the prospect have a problem? Is it a real problem? How big is that problem? Who's that problem impacting? Now, if I don't have the problem, I can't find out the timeline, really. I can't find out the goals. I can't find out who's being impacted. If there is no problem that I know of, I can't even do a demo. And so the situation will bring up the problem, but the problem would also bring up the situation. So if you're if you're getting a lead that's coming inbound, let's assume you've built some level of rapport. One of the first questions I like to ask that I teach my students is ask them, like, what made you schedule a call with me today? That question automatically starts talking about the problem. When they start talking about the problem, they automatically just start talking about the situation that they're in. Well, we are we have a three-person company, whatever it is. But when you go in with, tell me the situation you're in, they tell you what they want to accomplish. They don't really talk about the problem too much. So I always prioritize the problem. So we call it pin selling, if you like. <laughs> yeah. And what's, what's, interesting about, what's interesting about this topic is, you know, most prospects, even if they know they have a problem, won't necessarily tell you what they feel their problems are because they don't want to be, you know, sold, so to speak. So they have their guard up. And so they're not going to tell you what their problems are. And so it's part of our job to not necessarily uncover them, but to raise them on our own, which is what more was talking about earlier. Like, I'm not going to rely on you, Nick, Mr. Prospect, to Nicholas. tell me what <laughs> Nicholas, pardon me, Nicholas, <laughs> to tell me what your problems are. I don't care. You know, I'm sure whether you will find out whether you feel comfortable enough to tell me what they are or what they're not. But I will tell you what I'm hearing problems are from other people and ask if you think it's worth talking about. Because if one of them resonates, that's great. If none of them resonate, 
that's also fine. Maybe there's something that I didn't mention that is a problem for you that you would like to tell me about. So it's, of course, you know, not a simple math equation. We have to, it's a very artful way of raising the issues so that they can continue to, or at least start to trust you. Yeah. That's, again, if you're going in with a mindset of, I don't know if this is going to be the right customer for us, then you remove this like salesy vibe to yeah. you. And you can go starting with a call with, hey, Morgan, appreciate you jumping on the call. I just want to make a disclaimer here. I don't know that we're the right fit for you. Make that disclaimer up front. And then you can transition into your questions. That will allow yeah. them to be like, all right, he's being honest. He's, he's not trying to sell me anything. So you know yeah. who does this really well? Alex Hermosi. I don't know if you follow him. Alex Hermosi on YouTube. But if you watch all of his YouTube videos, he always starts with something, but he always says this one line. He goes, I'm not trying to sell you anything. I'm not here to sell you anything. Automatically, when he says that, I'm like, okay, I'll listen. And so you can use that approach on your, on your discovery calls. I'm not here to try to close you or anything. I, I don't even know if we're a right fit. That's the whole yeah. point of this call. That's the objective of this call. Yeah. I think in general, of course, there are exceptions to every rule. Sales professionals might be worried that the prospect is skeptical of them. And so they're always wondering, what can I do to make the prospect less skeptical, which is important. But the prospect should also understand that we are also skeptical of them. And that's why we're having a conversation. Not everybody that we speak to is a fit for what we do. And not everybody we speak to, are we a fit for them? So we're a SaaS business. We have to understand that there is mutual fit. Um, sometimes people want to work with us that we can't work with they're not fit for what we do. So that peer level of that mindset, that understanding just takes a lot of the pressure off a salesperson. Salespeople to put too much pressure on themselves to feel like they have to turn, change minds. They don't have to do that at all. Best thing to do is for them to express like, hey, I don't know if you're a fit for us, but let's talk. And that takes a lot of the pressure off everybody. I just had a, a dinner the other day with someone, a CEO of a a company and we had a blast just to like network and talk and kind of get a sense of what we're doing with our, what we're doing in our professional lives. And, you know, there was no agenda to the meeting. There's not like, I'm here to accomplish this. You're here to accomplish that. It was just like, let's talk and see if there's reason to talk more. And it was just a pleasure and people will share more on both sides. So I think you can take that level of mindset, but approach that on a sales call where you have a quota and you're like, okay, hey, let's just see where this goes. That could be also. There's a healthy balance. There's a healthy balance. I'm not kind of like networking though, where what you're trying to do is find that shared narrative and seeing if like what they're telling themselves aligns with something that you can solve. Like when you go to networking, you, I always call it the race to commonality. So you got to hit on those common points where they get excited and lean in. I do wish that somebody would have told me when I was younger and selling that if people always agreed with everything I said as a prospect, that I'm talking to the wrong person because that that burned a lot of deals for me talking to talkers that were excited to go and meet with me, wanted to share a bunch of information. But I think what we talked about earlier too is I always look for somebody that kind of pokes back and like right. tries to go and are you sure with however they say that in their questions. I think that's missed yeah. by a lot of junior sellers because they as soon as they get the pushback, they're like, oh shit, like you know, I was wrong, but not realizing that they're actually in the right spot. Now they need to dig in. Yeah. Ironically, I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> no pushback? What? That's, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I once had this call with a prospect who 
like we had a productive discovery conversation or intro call, and he didn't want to see a demo. And I said to him something like, uh, something along the lines of, got it. Do you not want to see a demo because the problem that you share is just not big enough of a problem? I was like, no, it is. It actually is a big problem with us. I just, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that it's a right fit. So I said, so I took it further and I said, got it. So it just sounds like you don't believe we can actually help you. And he said, yeah. Okay, good. That's like, I want to know what's actually happening. And then I said to him, we totally don't have to work together. Would you be open to being proven wrong? It's possible you might not be proven wrong. Maybe can we can prove you wrong. Would you be open to that idea? And if you say no, then after that, we'll just stop talking. You think that's unreasonable? So like, I'm welcoming the disagreement and I'm just asking questions to propose whether it's an unreasonable idea for us to talk based on a reasonable request. Like, are you open to being proven wrong? Mm. You can tell me he's not open. Okay, then we'll stop. But I'm just using, I, I find, yes, emotion helps people move forward. But when you use a statement or ask a question that's kind of like hard to argue with, especially a professional, then that that's also helpful. So that back and forth, that tension, that disagreement helps you. I imagine you had some level of chemistry with that prospect before you asked that question. Uh, chemistry? When I say chemistry, <laughs> I'm not talking about like you guys like loved each other. But yeah, I was going to say, find chemistry. No, there was some, uh, you know, like uh, healthy chemistry, healthy friction, call it. We had a good, we had a productive conversation. Yeah, healthy friction. We had a productive mm-hmm. conversation. I made some points that he agreed with. He was the founder of the firm. He was skeptical throughout, which is a good sign, like you mentioned, Nicholas. And then he didn't want to talk more. And I it was basically like, why? Like, what's the big deal? You don't, you can say no. Like, who cares? But at least see what we, at least see what we have. And was he skeptical going in, like before the call or when he got Yeah, there? yeah, he was skeptical of everything. So, so if he was skeptical, my thought process is he was skeptical prior to getting on the call and he's a CEO, a founder of a company. How long was the call for? Half hour. Okay. So, I mean, a half hour on a CEO's calendar is a lot of time. And so if you're going, if you're skeptical... Well, like, it, was, it was booked for a half hour. He could have left after 10 minutes. Right. But regardless, like for, in his mind, in his calendar, he had a 30-minute calendar block, but he was going in and being all skeptical. Like a founder or CEO doesn't book a call just so he can be proven wrong. What I'm saying is you're right what you did. I'm, I'm just sort of like adding to your point is he went in with the mindset of I'm skeptical, but he also went in with the mindset of prove me wrong. Because <laughs> otherwise he wouldn't have booked anything on the calendar. No CEO wants to waste their 30 minutes of time. It's too valuable. <laughs> I like what you're both pointing to, even as it as it like in this broader umbrella, which is that you're unpacking, you're doing your best. This is something I, I think um, Nick and I see a lot with junior sellers who are more new, particularly in running enterprise deals in that you're really working to try and model what the prospect is thinking. And it's not, you're never 100% right, right, but you're trying to get to that 80, 90%. You're unpacking. Why do they take this? Why would they take this call? Why would they be interested, especially on outbound compared to inbound? How can I connect those dots before I even get on? Because then it leads to a more productive conversation. And I feel like that's, yeah. Something we hear gets missed a lot <laughs> where they're like, oh, it's great. I got, you know, I landed this prospect. We're going to have a great conversation. And then they never spend any time thinking about what's in it for them. They're just the excited seller. Right. It's funny because SERs will sometimes approach me and say, hey, Charles, what do you think about this email? 
And before I say anything, I'll ask them a simple question and I'll say, if you got this email, would you respond to it? Hmm. Usually, not usually. Oh, I, I can't, I don't remember any, anybody ever saying, yeah. They always say, no, I wouldn't. So I'll say, okay, do yourself a favor. Rewrite the email and send it to yourself in your inbox. Act as if like you're the prospect, open it up, read it. And if you say to yourself, wow, that's a badass email, then you have your answer. I thought you were going to say, do yourself a favor and pack your shit and get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I cold prospect. Till, like I get most of my leads inbound, but I still cold prospect. One, Charles thinks I'm crazy for, for saying this. You've said it before, but I find it fun. It's copywriting, in my opinion. And I, I find mm-hmm. copywriting really interesting. And uh, what did I want? Oh, so when you get a lead that came from some sort of outbound activity, if you've cold emailed them, and you get on the call, I think the mistakes that a lot of reps make that they're not really trained for as much as they should is they're treating that outbound lead as if that outbound lead was an inbound. So they're going in and be like, hey, so uh, what brought you over to XYZ company today? If the prospect is polite, they'll keep their mouth shut and be like, oh, and they'll tell them the problems. But if they're pretty blunt, they'll say, well, you contact, you reach out to us. When you exactly. Contact. Exactly. So one of my first clients that I've gotten that I, I closed was from an outbound email that I sent out. And we got on the call and I realized I couldn't ask the person like, hey, well, you know, how'd you hear about me? Where did you... I can't use those questions. And so I just called out the elephant in the room. So I said, hey, I know I, um, I appreciate you jumping on the call. I know I cold emailed you. You probably get a thousand cold emails every day. What, what about this email prompt you to say, hey, this is worth having a 30-minute conversation with me? So I'm calling out the cold email and I'm using that to tie in to the pain point. Hmm. That's great. I like that a lot. I know. It's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's thank, good. You. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So obviously, we've sort of danced a little bit around this problem, which is sometimes you get on the call with the wrong person. And wrong person in a right account is sort of the scenario I'm right. thinking about, which is maybe they're a talker. Maybe they understand the problem, but they're the wrong person. Maybe you're listening as we've detailed before and you go, this person is is not going to be a champion for this deal. Right. So what are your favorite... I like to think of these as like moments of transition. So what are your favorite ways to transition the conversation forward to get in front of somebody else inside the company that could be the right prospect or person? After you've already found out that this person's clearly not the person you should be talking to? Yeah, you're already well into the first discovery call or the first intro call with them. And you're like, ah, this person's not the right fit. I think Charles and I spoke about this in one of our workshops that we did. I feel like it was a question that popped up, right? When we did it. uh, I don't remember. Okay. I'm, sure I'm sure we can answer okay. it. Um, are, is the prospect aware that they're not the fit or only you've been aware of it? Like you've just noticed it now. Basically, you're aware. You have the mental model that says, sure, they're interested, but they're not going to be able to carry this deal across the finish line. Hmm. Let me think about that one for a second. While Moore thinks about it, I think that... <laughs> I think it's very similar very little difference to what Moore just talked about, about calling out his own outreach to the prospect. And in general, I'm a big fan of calling things out and with your prospect. I'm always, I always encourage my reps to, we call it looking for trouble or just calling out the elephant in the room. Okay. So, and this should be of no surprise to Moore. I'd be surprised if he disagrees with me. You might disagree with me just for the sake of disagreeing with me. But 
With <laughs> with that said, I think just it's not really a transition. It's more like expressing to you, Morgan, if you were my prospect, what I'm gathering. Mm. So, Morgan, I appreciate uh, what you've been sharing with me thus far. My sense is that, correct me if I'm wrong, that you may not be the best person to, or you may not be the right person to speak with about the topic that we're discussing. It sounds like there might be some other folks in the organization that would be focusing on this a bit more. That's also, you know, there are different ways to phrase it. You could say it could be more direct. You know, I'm very into baby steps. So that's like a baby step question before I might ask who else do you recommend I should reach out to? So that would come before I'd ask that. But I want to at least introduce the idea. Like, it sounds like this is not the right conversation for us. But I'm guessing there might be some other people in the organization that there would be a fit for. Now you can argue, oh, you should do should have done your research. The, the, the people you can name names on the call. Maybe it's Bob. Maybe it's Sarah. There are a lot of different ways to do it. But just introducing that in the conversation is something that I would do. Yeah, if you, I mean, if you pay attention, like so initially when Charles was saying it, and then I was disagreeing because, not for the sake of disagreeing, just because people have egos, and if someone says you may not be the right person, it's like. What do you mean I'm not the right person? But, and then you role played it and then you used your tonality, but your tonality was sort of empathetic and thoughtful. And you were almost like thinking it out loud, your tone of voice was saying that. Then it made me be like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not threatened by that statement. Going to your point, yeah, you should do your research. So, when part of the research that you're doing before getting on the discovery call is who else, let's say your, your discovery calls with, with Morgan, who else in Morgan's department would probably somehow like, you're essentially being proactive. Just in case Morgan is not the right person, I want to be ready when that time comes. And so the way you can transition is one of the things I'd I'd recommend that Charles did was you empathize and thank them for their feedback and information. So Charles, I appreciate this level of like deep feedback and insight into what's happening in your company. And then you can do a transitionary line that I, I like to use either a by the way or curious. By the way, I also noticed that earlier I was doing some research and I noticed that Nicholas was um, also in your company. I'm thinking based on what you're telling me, I'm thinking that it would also make sense for Nicholas to be involved because X, Y, Z. What are your thoughts on that? So a little bit of a softer approach. I'm not telling him that they're wrong explicitly or they're not the right person. I'm just saying that this person could be a better person without saying. I think it's less. I think my takeaway or a big takeaway that I've, that I've, you know, a realization that I've had over the years is that can really ask or say anything you want to a prospect as long as your tone is just on the money. You could be, you could ask anything you want. You could almost say anything you want, of course, being professional, obviously. But if your tone is is cool, calm, collected, and non-threatening, you could really, what I say, how to ask a question can be done really well by somebody and really poorly by somebody else. So it's not just about the language. It's about how, how it's executed. No different than any uh, comedian or singer or actor, actress, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's a delivery. Mm-hmm. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah, we've all been in sales calls where that one goes sideways. And you're like, what did you say? <laughs> yeah, and I, I talk a lot about, I didn't create this idea on my own. I learned this from question-based selling. It's a, written a while back. And I've, I talk about humbling disclaimers all the time. That's the purpose of humbling disclaimers. You know, I mean, I may not be asking this the right way. I'm not. I'm not exactly sure how to ask this. Someone to ask, ask the pro, to the prospect like I'm actually afraid to ask you this question. 
But when you, but it's the delivery that matters. Like I can say I'm afraid to ask something, but not like cower, right? I can ask, just tell you confidently, I'm afraid to ask you this. And it'll come off, come across a lot better and they'll appreciate it and, and just opens everybody up. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I love the humbling disclaimers. And yeah, there's so many ways you can play with it, right? You could be like, I have a really awkward question to ask you, right? Yeah. Like, it's just great. Hmm. It's building that connection. I like that. Yeah. Nick, do you have anything to ask these wonderful gentlemen? I've been just carrying some questions. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick shit. I've been doing all the work. <laughs> no, 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 no. As you guys are talking, as we talk about champion building, it, funny enough, because I love prospecting, it keeps going back to prospecting. And I think about how many times I've started on the wrong foot because I didn't prospect enough. Like when my account research didn't go deep enough to have something worth talking about. And then I realized as you guys are talking, I also at that time didn't find a problem worth solving. So I didn't find a big enough problem or I would start talking about problems they didn't know they had. And we all know how that goes. <laughs> it's not does not make for a great conversation. I think this is like the big thing right now with sales being so automated and teams being separated from SDRs to AEs is that we really have to pull this together so that it is that clean process so that the reason I'm reaching out is the reason that I'm diving deeper in discovery. And the reason why, you know, I'm having more meetings, like you said, somebody had said earlier, it was, it's like a first date, both parties need to decide if it, they want to have a second date, not just one way. Mm. And how true is that, right? And every time you guys talk about like the different questioning skills and building that value hypothesis and like Nate Nisrael, I always love how he talks about nailing that problem statement and the impact that it has on the organization. Unless that we have that idea from prospecting and continue that momentum into discovery, I think that's one of the biggest reasons why deals stall is we lose that momentum. So people default to risk management. They're like, oh, actually, I need to pull in Paul. And actually, you know, I need to get Bob. And the next thing you know, you got, you know, 17 people on the buying committee and it, they just sink the ship because they're trying to throw bodies at it to try to go and end it because they just don't feel comfortable making a decision. Yeah, I think deals stall for two reasons. One, call, we'll, we'll just label this as objections, things that the prospect has seen throughout the sales motions, maybe the demo, maybe the fault, whatever it is that sort of makes me feel a little bit uneasy and unsure about your product and your solution. And then there are things where they are not objections, but conditions. A condition is something outside of your control that happens in the organization. I learned this when I was in real estate in Keller Williams, when I got into cold calling and door knocking. My mentor would tell me, you can overcome an objection. You can handle that. You can't overcome a condition. So an example of that is someone is selling their home because they are moving to I don't know, California and they're, they're selling their home in Miami, and they need the money from the home to buy their place in California for a new job. Okay, that's a pretty motivated reason. Great prospect is more likely to buy if you can solve their problem in a very fast way. All of a sudden, that prospect finds out that they lost a job and they're not moving to California. There is nothing you can do to get them to, to buy to sell the house or to work with you. Nothing. That is a condition you can't overcome. So I think it's important that when, when sellers are trying to push the deal forward, they can't just think of, oh, what objection does the prospect have about our product? They also have to think about what's happening internally. If the, pro if the company made had like mass layoffs, then a couple of things happen. 
the people that are still employed are probably taking over the job of somebody else that was laid off. So they have less time to focus on what used to be a priority, which is your, your solution. And now they're more, they're more about, let's not let the, the, the ship sink. And so now they're focused on other jobs. And so I think, I think it's the VPs of sales and sales managers and founders and CEOs fault for putting this ridiculous pressure on sales reps for like, you got to close the deal no matter what. They said that this was the time. Yeah, but shit happens. Like life happens. You know, I mean, you know how many times I was two seconds from purchasing something? I was like deep, knee deep in like doing the research. I was like, all right, I'm making a decision. I slept on it. And then like the next day, something else happened in my business. I was like, all right, this is no longer a priority. Let me shift focus. Like that happens every second in a company. I worked in as VP of sales in the startups. I, I know what it's like. And then it sort of dies down. And then over time, it builds over time. And then shit happens again. And the CEO is like, why didn't we fix this long time? Okay, get on the call. And then they're, they're back to being motivated again. And so I think being mindful of the prospects like buying environment more than your selling environment. Mm. Yeah, as more is, is talking about that, it's like, you know, in general, you have to have three things in order to even think about having a, a closed deal, right? The prospect has, a, has to have, obviously, admit to a problem. The prospect believes that the problem is big enough that they actually want to solve for it. That's number two. And that the third item is that Why they've... What's that? Why you? <laughs> now they have a problem. They've decided they want to solve for it. And they uh, they believe that the, I guess you could say, argue it's interrelated to the second one. The, the impact is actually big enough for them to react, right? Because it could be a problem, but the problem's not big enough and so on and so forth. But to Moore's point, the problem is based on a condition. Problems are based on conditions. Um, and getting to like, what, what is the root of the problem? Why is that a problem? that's pretty much getting to the condition. This is the condition that we're in right now and that condition might change and then it's not a problem anymore or not a priority. So that was what was rolling through my uh, through yeah, my thinking. Spot on. Hmm. I also want to, I know we're close to the end, but more you- We should have had points, by the way. Like we should have, because more and I are very competitive. Like, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Negative one for more. And like we should, we should have- Yeah, but we're, we're showing each other some love right now. Yeah. <laughs> Can we get I'm, forcing, I'm forcing myself to agree with you. So uh, <laughs> um, right now, the- Actually, Safe had just dropped this in chat. Obviously, budgets are shifting. And, and this is true across entire SaaS ecosystems, it seems, right now. So when you think about conditions and objections and also navigating the sale, particularly for deals, not new deals, but deal, existing deals, qualified deals in pipeline, how much do you believe budgetary conditions inside of a company are the conditions that you can't overcome or simply relate back to not identifying a strong enough pain and not getting that over the finish line. And I know there's probably context here in the company, but I just punt. I'm not running my own business like Moore is. I, I'm an employee, so I see how, how we think about buying things. And we just had a demo with, uh, with somebody and I ran it by somebody on my team and she's like, they do good stuff. She's not a priority for us. Hmm. She said, we also don't have budget, but don't have budget means. We just says not a priority. It's all it means. Mm -hmm. If it's not a priority, it could be based on what more said. It could be based on a condition. Okay. I think the term okay. budget is also like loosely thrown around. Like, I don't I like think, it. Like, it depends how early 
the prospect is going into like the stages of research, but if they're going really early, they probably didn't sit down in a spreadsheet and like, all right, let's look at our financials and let's see if we have a budget. They probably didn't do that. So you're asking, do you have a budget? Like, no, not really. It's like, oh, not qualified. Not really. Yeah. Maybe it's just too early. Mm-hmm. Asking if they have a budget is, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't ask that. I wouldn't, it wouldn't be one of my first questions. It yeah. would definitely not be one of my it's, first questions. It's just not. I don't care. I really don't care. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, if they, they believe they have a problem, they believe that their problem is big enough to solve. And they believe that, wait, you, we believe like a lot of, a lot of people like, your salesperson, all oh, the problems they have this problem, but the prospect doesn't believe that you can help them, right? It has to be, it's a lot of things, a lot of a loops that you have to jump through, so to speak. Or like you said, either they don't believe in that you can help them or they don't believe that their condition is that bad. Yeah. All these yeah. things have to be figured out way before they believe oh, we can help you. A lot of salespeople flip it. Oh, we can help you. I hate that. Who cares? Don't care. And they say that during discovery also. Yeah. It's like, so what are you looking for? We're looking to increase ourselves. Well, we're the perfect company for you. It's like, it's premature ejaculation. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> one way to tackle it. Yeah. It is what it is. They're like, uh-huh. it's too yeah. soon. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> couldn't give a different example more. That, I don't know why that just popped into my head. <laughs> All right, that's a first. That's a first for the B two B Power Hour. I'm into it. That's great. But uh, it's true though. It's 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 you know like slow down. But um, I'll give you a personal story. I'm working with a particular lead right now. It's a big account. My accounts are really much like I've sold an SMB as a VP of Sales and had a team. But as a founder for my company, I have an SMB side, which is my university, and then I have my enterprise side, which is my services, which is pretty much enterprise dollars in terms of revenue. So I'm talking to a company, and I happen to know two of the founders, and and now I know the other founder. Long story short, we're negotiating, and one of the questions I asked him, like, why are you even looking into something like sales training, whatever it is? Long story short, he doesn't have time. They can't scale. They're about to hire two more people. Blah, 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 blah. And so the CEO is the type of personality where he's very like, let's do it, and then like tomorrow he can cool off, right? And so and he's the CEO, and he like runs the show, so to speak, not runs the show, but he definitely has a, a say in everything. And so if he says it's hot, then everybody thinks it's hot and then they're ready to buy. Long story short, he wanted to... His pain point was pretty big. I don't have enough time to train my team. We're about to hire four more people. We're about to raise money, blah, 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 all these things. And I was like, okay, so when are you looking to implement something? Training, whatever. He goes, ASAP, yesterday. Like this high level of like, all right, so if after today we... We speak and you see that this is going to work out. Would you be ready to sign up by the end of the week? Yes. Sign, I'll sign up by the end of the week. Okay, cool. So high mo- motivation. And then we went over the pricing, sent a proposal. We went back and forth. Long story short, it started getting a little colder. It's still warm. We're still in conversation. It got a little colder. And then he's like, you know what? Let's look at this in September. This conversation was happening in July. So I spoke back and I'm like, I'm, I'm a little confused. You originally said that the reason why you're looking for something like this is because Big-ass pain point. So I'll bring up specifically the pain point that he was having, the impact of that pain point. So you said that you don't have time to coach your sales team and you're about to hire four more people. And because of that, like it's going to be like do or die essentially for the company, for the sales department. And you wanted to do this yesterday, but now you're pushing this off to September. What's changed in the timeline that this is no longer a priority? And you can ask this direct question. He was He called me up and he just had an open conversation about what was happening. And, and, and the, that has a lot to do with what you mentioned earlier, your rapport with the prospect. Yes. You can't just ask that. If, 
You can't just ask that. You have to be jiving in order to just ask that question directly. So yeah, there's two types of jiving. Jiving either we respect each other and so we'll talk about it, or jiving like we're best friends. There are two types of conversations you can have with the prospect. But um, essentially, I found out that the condition it was all about about a condition. The condition was everything that was was riding on them closing a round of funding because. Otherwise, if they didn't and it was delayed, he would have to come out of pocket and pay for, for the service. And he wasn't comfortable doing that. So he was willing to deal with the problem until... So that's insight that I mean, I ended up finding out because we built enough rapport. I know the other founders. But if you can get to a level like that where you can... It's multi-threading, right? I've connected the founder, the CEO, the CTO, blah, blah, blah. blah. So that's just a, a story that's it's interesting to find. Like, what comes to mind, salespeople should care more about respecting one another meaning prospect respects you than being liked. I feel like a lot of sales professionals operate on the need for approval and that could actually destroy their sales cycle. Mm. Being a yes person. Yeah. Being so excitable and charismatic and so oh, you should just... Them. Yeah. They want to respect you and trust. You don't have to be liked. They don't have to think you're an a-hole, but <laughs> you just have to say you're pleasant. You're someone I, I respect and I trust what you're saying. Let's move forward. So somehow we're at the end of this hour. This has been hilariously fun and insightful, but out of respect for our audience's time, we usually try and end close to the end of the hour, hence the name of the show. But the <laughs> so Charles Moore, thanks so much for joining. Where Thank you very, very much. Where can people find you? Where should they should they connect with you out on LinkedIn? Where else? What else should they do? This is a punt. Yep. Go yeah, ahead, Moore. Connect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They can connect me on LinkedIn or um, if they're interested in um, uh, sales training or sales coaching, check out demotoclose.com. Sweet. Also, check out Moore's TikTok. It's fun too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she has a very fun TikTok. You follow me? Uh, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So yeah, people can reach out to me on LinkedIn as well. I also do one-on-one coaching for discovery only. (coughs) Competition. This is why we brought you both on. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Thanks, guys. And Nick, do you want to close this out as per usual? I don't know why, but I feel like I got to turn this into a poll just to play to your guys' competitive side. Would you rather hire Charles or more? Because <laughs> <laughs> AE's asking me, how are you different than more? I say, I'm not different. I'm better. They're like, oh. <laughs> and, and, and AE's asking me, how are you different than Charles? I'm like, who's Charles? <laughs> Oh wow. Oh wow. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Wow. We could stop here. We can go for hours. Nick, do you want to close this out? <laughs> Guys, it's 2022. Nobody should suffer in silence. If you need help, if you're struggling with sales, if the world is overwhelming, reach out to any of us. Get in the comments, shoot us a DM. You don't need to buy anything. It is no longer acceptable. <laughs> for sellers to suffer in silence. So if you need help, reach out. We'd be happy to help you. And thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, I think it's fair to say this poll's got to go live. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Take care, guys. Love you, Charles. Bye. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.